Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Thank you, Mr. Kelly. It's a hard act to follow. Man, oh man. The pro versus the amateur. I'm the amateur, by the way. Folks, welcome. Thanks for stopping by, and we'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. If you have any questions or concerns about your plant material, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We get together on Saturday mornings, and uh, we discuss your yard, your landscape, your garden, your house plants, whether to use this or that or whatever. Where are those bugs coming from, and how much damage are they going to do? When should you plant? When should you not plant? All those kind of things. But please remember my words are strictly to open opportunities. After that, it's going to take work on your part. And it is a great marathon. And man, oh man, you never know what kind of mountains or hillsides or downhill slopes or anything else you're going to hit because the weather is the massive control. And uh, this is your show. And I certainly appreciate you being here. And thanks to Greg, he's producing again today. He did a lot of work to get the, some of the information that I needed to, together. So I greatly appreciate everything that he does to make the Garden Hotline possible. I'm Mike Miller, by the way, and I host, I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations. And also I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. During the week, I do landscape consulting. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage will be my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Ooh, I thought it was going to be a little bit warmer, but that southerly breeze was kind of cool. It was really whipping the flags. Morning's light, uh, not doing too much yet, but it was highlighting the stadium, the towered lights, and uplighting on the brick pattern, you know, really made some of the brickwork on the stadium look good. St. Louis Cardinals in script can be seen from Tucker and 12th Street, a long way away. Well, can't really quite see it, but it's you can see pretty, you can make it out. But anyway... And I was sitting there, I pulled into park at the third base entrance gate. And the gate awaits the crowd. I think opening day is Thursday, I believe. And that should be kegs and eggs day, too. So that's something else KMOX gets involved with, as well as broadcasting the game. Uh, there's a couple shuttle carts, which are draped with canvas sitting in a parking lot. I don't know exactly what they're for. Uh, the smell of fresh mulch. On the Metrolink side of 8th Street, Stan Mutual stands ready for the first pitch. Surrounding him, 
neatly pruned boxwood with white pansies in bloom. There's daffodils and tulip foliage, but I don't see any flowers from them at all. I guess they're going to wait till opening day. And further up north, as you walk along 8th Street, exotically pruned crabapple trees. They were leafing out, but no flowers. So underplanted with pansies, tulips, and daffodils as well. In those full raised beds, oakleaf hydrangeas were hugging the trunks of budding deciduous trees. Cyanodoxa, yes, blue flowers. They were in bloom at the base of some of them, adding some spice to some of the various views. And uh, in action guard, well, statue, in action statues. As you turn the corner right in front of the team store, all the great cardinals of days of old. The sun was really starting to brighten the eastern sky. Ballpark Village, boy, those giant cranes. Man, they look scary, sort of towering high above everything else. There were some robins and sparrows bouncing and singing all over the place, and they were basically saying, it's time to go. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Well, folks, if you head out into your yard, your landscape, your lawn, or anything else, you're going to see all kinds of those weeds that germinated last August, made it through the wintertime, and now they are exploding. They're all over the place. See something with a little white flower? That's chickweed. That is very pervasive, invasive, and everything else. The chickweed, yes, 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 it's bad news. It'll go away when the weather starts warming up, but it's going to be dropping seeds the whole time. There's going to be henbit. Henbit has the purplish flowers, and a lot of the foliage is purple, and the stems are square. Also, I've noticed a lot of the Persian speedwell, which is a type of Veronica, small blue flowers, with a kind of a white throat. So those are the main ones I've seen recently. The annual bluegrass, yes, that's out there too, and a few other things. But those are the ones that are the most pervasive in my neighborhood and where I choose to walk. Let's head to South St. Louis and go into Ed's yard. Hi, Ed. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Mike, I ordered some perennials through an online catalog. And they arrived the other day, and I was hesitant about putting them into the ground with the weather forecast. What do you think I should do? Uh, they're, they're mostly tubers. You could probably put them in the ground if they're tubers. You know, if, if did I have any foliage above the ground? Some of them do have a few leaves on them. Yeah, probably the only thing that will happen is if it does get as cold as they say it's going to get down in the 20s, that yeah. new foliage could be exposed. If it was me, what I would do is I would not plant them. But if okay. I, let's say, I got to get them planted or I want to plant them, I would plant them in a potting mix in pots and leave those pots in the garage. Well, you know, Mike, that's what I've been doing. You know, I've been saving my containers from years past that I buy at my local you know, flower store. Sure. And what I do, when, when they show up from the, um, in the delivery, I put them in these old pots. Right. And then, and then to give them a start and make sure that I've got live plants for the most part, too. So, I, yeah, I, I've already got them in soil, but I... I Hold off transplanting them, though, right? Yeah, I would not put them out. Not with our screwy weather and everything else. They're probably okay. safe because they're tough and they're perennials, but I just wouldn't do it. I'll give them another week or so. Yeah, sounds perfect. Thank you, Mike. Thanks. And now let's go from South St. Louis to Kirkwood, and that's where Phyllis lives. Hi, Phyllis. Hello, Mike. Hi. Um, I brought a, 
crabgrass question. My forsythia bloomed several weeks ago. Uh, I was ready to, of course, not rain. Now I cannot get in the yard because it's sopping wet. It's I'm at the bottom of a hill, so I my Ooh. grass stays wet much longer than anybody else's. Is it too late to do the crabgrass preventer any anymore? Uh, I would say. All the, let's put it this way. Even though when the forsythia is in bloom, that starts triggering because of soil temperature, uh, the germination of seeds, of all kinds of different seeds. But that doesn't mean they're going to all explode at once. So you could certainly, if you've had a history of crabgrass problems in your lawn or in your wherever, don't put you know don't necessarily put the crabgrass preventer in the bed spaces. That's where you want to use preen. But anyway, I would go ahead and put it out if you've got it and use it. And that way, you may not eliminate, let's say, 80 or 90 percent of the whatever seeds are going to be germinating, but you're going to be at least able to get rid of some of them. So even though we're going to have a freezing temperatures. Yeah, I, you know, I certainly wouldn't do it. To, well, I can't. The ground is soft. Yeah, right. So I would. You're going to have to just wait and then get it out as soon as you possibly can. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, because, I mean, this, the colder temperature is going to slow down the germination, and maybe we'll get lucky enough that all those weed seeds that actually germinated uh, will get killed by the cooler temperatures. But all that stuff is pretty tough. So thanks, Phyllis. And now let's head from Kirkwood to Alton, and that's where Mike lives. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very good. Good. Hey, um, we moved into this home, oh, goodness, about 10 years ago, and it had this lilac bush. My wife loves lilac, and so I've kind of been afraid to do anything with it. Well, now this crazy thing has gotten to where it's about 10 feet tall. Sure. Uh, is there a time of the year to trim it, or do I just let it go? What, what do I do? Well, basically, it's a standard lilac, and it could get another couple feet taller. Now, is it problematic just because you think it's too tall and you don't like it, or is it overgrowing a sidewalk, or is it too close to the house or your garage or something like that? It's, it's in a place where it's really out of the way. I mean, it's not causing any type of trouble at all. I just didn't know for the health of the plant itself. I would say don't worry about it. It won't hurt anything. When the canes start getting bigger, so in other words, the trunk's coming up out of the ground. Once they get beyond two feet, I would start, or two feet, two, two, in, two to three inches, I would cut those down as close to the ground as you possibly can because the older trunks coming up out of the ground are just going to slowly but surely lose the ability to produce any kind of flowers. So if you start noticing one year that, well, this trunk coming up, didn't produce any flowers, then just you know, mark it or remember which one it was and go ahead and cut it off. So lilacs are colonizers. They're going to st- continue to send new shoots off around the base of the plant, but uh, the older ones are just going to get dysfunctional. Okay. Uh, is there a time of the year that's best to do that? Uh, basically, do, do the cut. if you're just going to cut something out entirely, it doesn't matter because it's not going to flower. But generally with spring flowering things, whether it's you know lilacs, whether it's quince, whether it's forsythia or anything else, you usually prune within a month or so of the time that they finish flowering. Okay, so that would be somewhere June-ish. Uh, yeah, sometime. Yeah, that would be probably fine. Maybe you don't have to do it that late because it may be too warm. But okay. uh, yeah, so that would be great. Okay. All right. Thanks, Mike. Yep. Good luck with that. And it's nice to have a, somebody put a shrub in some place 
that's not problematic because most of the time people find oh, that shrub is going to get huge. It's too close to the house. It overgrows the sidewalk. When I pull my car in the driveway, it scratches my car or whatever it happens to be. So let's go from Alton down to De Pere. Hi, Ron. How are you today? Great. Hey, Mike, I've got a, a lawn question. I've got a, a spot on my lawn. It's about three feet by four feet. And right now it's completely covered with grass. But every year, maybe May or, or something like that, that exact same spot goes completely dormant and all of the grass dies. And I can put new grass seed down and it will come back. But again, right now, it's a complete you know, cover of grass, but I know it's going to die in a month or two. So when you put this new grass seed down, when are you putting it down? Uh, probably in May. Okay, so then it germinates, it looks like normal grass, it grows fine all the way up until the following year? Right. So I would say there's got to be something wrong with that soil right there. At first I thought when you started describing I thought this is just a big bad patch of annual bluegrass, which that's exactly what it does. It germinates in August slash September, grows all the way through wintertime, and then May, June, when the weather starts getting warm, it just disappears, so you'd have a big dead spot. But, you know, are you, like, when you put the grass seed down, are you putting, are you raking the area and everything else? Yes, right. So you're doing everything properly. I would say there's something, you know, something has happened in that particular spot. Either, I don't want to say an oil spill, but something a la that, that has just ruined the soil. You know, why it would take that long for the seed to come up, grow all these months, and then disappear at the same time. If whatever it's caught, you know, whatever's causing this has to be triggered by soil temperatures. So in May, the soil temperatures are getting to a certain level, and whatever, you know, is, like I said, causing this problem is triggered by warmer soil temperatures. Oh, that makes sense. So either somebody spilled it like a gallon of, you know, who knows what herbicide or something along that line. Well, like I say, right now, I mean, it's a perfect, it looks perfect. Right. right. But what I would do is, you know, when it's, when it's dead, I would go out and probably dig down this whole area about six inches or so. Take it out, get rid of it entirely, put it, you know, I probably wouldn't even put it in a compost pile. But what I would do is then get a topsoil compost mix, backfill this space, then put the new seed down with a seed starter, fertilizer, and do it that way. That's a great idea. Hey, thank you very much. Yeah, because if you've had this happen as much as it, it sounds like it has, there's something really weird with this spot. No, I mean, it's, it's probably happened for the last six or eight years. That's, That's amazing. amazing. I know. <laughs> it's, it's kind of stumped me. Right. Either that or there's some alien spacecraft that had landed in that spot and just fried it, and it only causes the problems every May. Yep. All right. Hey, thanks. All right. Great. Thank you. And folks, if you do have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I've been talking about, you know, that cold snap in January that did some major damage to a lot of the evergreen euonymus as well as a lot of the other broadleaf evergreens. But the interesting thing is in my neighborhood when I walk around, there's quite a few of the, let's say, euonymus varieties. And I'm not talking about the burning bush or anything else. I'm talking about the broadleaf evergreen ones that have, let's say, leaves that are maybe two inches long, oval-shaped, green and lighter green and yellow, you know, let's say variegation to the leaf. A lot of the leaves have fallen off those. 
And, but unfortunately, right now, they're really pushing out new growth. So that cold damage was more cosmetic. But what's going to happen, we don't know because, ooh, when the weather starts getting cold in another couple of days, is all this new growth on all these plants, whether it's at Euonymus, whether it's anything that's push, you know, producing any kind of new foliage or flowers, the cold weather may eliminate them. So that's kind of a scary thing. Not too much can be done about that. But, you know, these, every, these plants keep trying and trying and trying. And then, you know, the weather throws these curves and all we can do is keep them as healthy as we possibly can. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With this goofy weather, we had a few warm days. We had all the rain and everything else. Watch out for your lawn. If it starts getting too long, the blades of your grass, what can happen is if get out there whenever you can and get it, keep, keep it mowed. You want to probably, if you haven't mowed it at all, you want to cut it down to about two inches this time of year for the first cut, a little bit close. But if you just let it keep growing and growing and growing, uh, it could, and we have continuous wet off and on, Let's I shouldn't say continuous, but off and on, we could have, you could have some major fungus problems in relationship to that. So staying ahead with those fungus problems too. If you've had a history of fungus problems, getting the fungicides out before you see the damage is going to be much more effective than after you see the damage. Other things that you need to be certainly thinking about is the garden centers are just jammed right now. And uh, you may not want to go out because you don't know what the weather is going to be like. But there's certain shrubs and trees. Normally, I, you know, advocate planting in the fall because the ground is warm and the plants get to go to sleep for the wintertime and everything else. But there's some of them that actually are, will do better if you plant them in the spring. That includes butterfly bushes, dogwoods, Rosa Sharon, black gum, Vitex, V-I-T-E-X. Don't know what that is. I'm not going to tell you. But the redbud trees, magnolias, tulip poplars, birch, ginkgo, hawthorn, and most of the oaks. So they prefer to be planted in the spring when the ground is cold. That doesn't make sense. But anyway, this is, you know, studies and everything else has, have said that. So, And watch out if you're putting mulch down, just don't make it too deep for your plant material. Let's go to Mary, and Mary lives in St. Charles. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mike. Yes, go ahead. Yes, I have... Uh, butterfly bush and hydrangea bush that I did not trim last year. Would it hurt to trim them now? Uh, if they haven't started any growth, then you're fine. And is this hydrangea one that blooms in the summer or is it one that blooms in the spring? It's summer. Okay, so you still got opportunity for, because both of them are summer bloomers, to go ahead and prune them. Uh, how far down should I prune them? Uh, I'm not a big fan on pruning. So I would say minimum amount. If you're pruning just for the sake of pruning because you're bored or something, then I would say leave them alone. If they're not obstructing anything, they're not, uh, as I continue to say, too close to the house, too close to the driveway, too close to the sidewalk, let them go. You don't need to prune them. It's just once they start leafing out or flowering or whatever, then if you've got stems or branches that have not done anything, haven't produced any new leaves or flowers, cut those off for sure. 
But if the new growth hasn't begun, you're not going to be able to tell which ones are viable and which ones are not. Yeah, all my all my hydrangea bushes are full of dead blooms. Yeah, you can cut those, you know, spend flowers off, the ones from last year. Okay. So well, just go, you, you know, go down, you know, an inch or so below where the flower is, the brown, you know, bracts, and just cut, uh, get rid of all that stuff because aesthetically it's not really all that enjoyable. Right, in the same way with the uh, butterfly bush. Right. Okay, thank you very much. Yep, good luck with that. And now let's come back in closer to the city a little bit and go into Chesterfield, and that's where John lives. Hi, John. Good morning. Hi. Hey, i got a couple questions about grass seed. Okay. When to plant it. (laughs) Uh, A lot of the grass seeds have these coatings on them, and I've looked at the labels of the weight stuff, and it takes up like 45 or 50% of the weight of the bag of grass seed. Is it really worth getting those coated seeds? Personally, I say no. If you, if you get everything, you know, your ground is ready and everything else, it's not going to make that much difference. Okay. That's what I sort of thought, but I want to make sure. Yeah, I mean, certain, you know, some people will swear by them. There's no, I mean, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying I don't see the major ad- advantage, and especially in our region where, like I, you know, we know, I mean, let's say in February we were all out in shorts and flip-flops, and through the whole month of March, it has been cold, rainy, or something else. And it's just everything flips back and forth, and you never know what's going to happen. So the simple fact that there's some coating, whatever that happens to be, is not going to make that much difference. Yeah. The other thing is about the labeling on the grass seed, where it says full sun, partial sun, and shady and all that. Almost all of my, both my yard here in Chesterfield and at the lake, get full sun for somewhere between half and a fourth of the day, and then the rest of the time it's partial shade. Is that, do I get some uh, grass seed that says sunny, or uh, does it make that big a difference? Is the shades created by trees, I'm assuming? Yeah. So it doesn't make a bit of difference whatsoever, to be honest, because yeah, a shade not- is important, yes, but it's the tree roots that cause the, the lawn to be thin and everything else. So if you've got this circumstance, it sounds like you probably already know this, but you should be putting out seed every May and every September to have a decent lawn. But it's never, ever really, regardless of what you do, it's not going to be spectacular whether you use a shady spot mix, whether you use a part shade mix, whether you use a sunny mix. It doesn't really matter. It's not to the point where it's so so much shade that it's it's dark or something like that. It's just, yeah. But yeah. I'm, that's why I'm saying the shade is important, but it's the tree roots that are more important because all the feeder roots are up near the surface, and that's where this newly germinated seed, you know, or any kind of existing lawn, grass, plants, that's where their root systems are too. And the trees are just going to uptake the nutrients and moisture before the lawn ever gets a chance. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yep. That's, you know, it's just a really tough circumstance to grow lawn. And if you want a good example, just, you know, take some time and go down to the botanical garden and check out some of the shady areas where they are trying to grow lawn. Now, maybe they have come up with some magical, you know, formula or anything else. But the last few times I've looked, it's not, I mean, it's not picture perfect. You're not going to have a picture perfect lawn here, even if you've got people like the botanical garden does on staff there every day to take care of the lawn. I don't know if they still use any kind of outside services or anything else, but they do the coeration, they do the you know spreading of the compost, everything else. 
but consequently their lawn is not all that great. Let's go now to Steve, and Steve lives in Manchester. Hi, Steve. Yes, uh, I had a solution to the guy that called in <clears throat> about the problem with his grass burning every year. Uh huh. I had the same problem for about three years. Uh, moved in a new house in Manchester, and the uh, I had two spots in the yard. And I walked out one day when the sun was out, and I stood on that spot, and I had my back to the house, and my back was just burning. It was because of the windows that I had in my house. They're like a high high end window. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have the screens on the window, and the, the reflection was so hot, I couldn't hardly stand there. And uh, I just figured I'd put the screens back on the, on the windows, and that took care of the problem. <laughs> wow. Well, that's yeah. certainly some insight. I would have never, ever thought of that. But I certainly, I mean, you can see windows reflecting on the ground in various places, so it makes sense. Yeah. My windows were about six feet off the ground, and... The uh, grass didn't burn till about May or June, and then the re- you know the angle of the sun, and just that perfect reflection down. I mean, it was if you wanted to get a suntan, you could go out there and get one in about fifteen minutes. <laughs> well, great. Well, thanks, Steve. Okay, thanks. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I would, you know, I, would have th- I would not have thought of that. So, but it makes perfectly good sense. But uh, you know, you can go out to. Uh, and just check to see if you're getting reflections off your windows, like this gentleman just suggested. But uh, if you're not getting that, then you know, get the soil out of there and put some new soil in that spot. Martha is on the road again. Hi, Martha. Hi. Hi. I did not trim anything back that I probably should have done. I've got a hydrangea that I brush into going into the door. I've got crepe myrtle. Um, I've got an azalea, I'm not sure if it's an azalea or rhododendron that's just gotten real out of of sorts. When can I, when should I do some trimming? Well, basically the rhododendron, azalea, whatever it happens to be, spring blooming. So you wait till after they flower. And if the flower buds didn't get frozen off this year, then just wait until, uh, you know, mid to late April, early May, you know, mid-May. That's when you would be pruning that. If the hydrangea okay. is one that blooms in the summertime, then you can get out there and prune it now. But if this is problematic where it's planted, I would think about transplanting it to a new location as where you don't have to fool with it on a regular basis, on a yearly basis or bi-yearly basis. So consider, you know... If so, whoever planted it there, whether it was you, a professional service, or anything else, they obviously didn't plan for maturity, and you're just kind of creating a reoccurring nightmare as far as having to prune things. And with the crepe myrtles, if there's no growth, no new growth on them yet, then go ahead and you know prune them as much as you want to. Okay. But if there's already new growth, then just don't get the new growth? Yeah. I mean... Get the old woody stalks? Yeah, so with with that, you know, what happens with things that bloom in the summertime, their flower buds, even though you may not be seeing them, they're really starting to form them. You know, they could be doing them soon. So get out there and get them pruned as soon as you possibly can. Okay, terrific. All right. Thank you so much. Sure, thanks, Martha. And if anybody else has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1100. 20. Mike Miller, I'll be back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. 
Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, in the month of April, you can expect to see the oaks and hickories blooming. Well, yeah. What? How do you know they're they're not spectacular flowering? It's just like, you know, we always talk about certain things in the early spring. The cornelian cherries are flowering. Sometimes some of the magnolias. Bald cypress, they've already finished flowering. Bald cypress flower? Yes, they do. If you go out and you know what a bald cypress is, well, it's a great tree. It gets huge, so don't put it in a small yard. Don't put it too close to your house. It has really kind of weird root systems because it's native to a swamp area. But they are spectacular, and you can go out and see them. All this stuff will be dangling from the ends of the branches and from various places along the branches. So that's sort of the, let's put it this way, the residue of the bald cypress flowering. And the nice thing is, too, as I walk down to the snooks, uh, I get to walk underneath some bald cypress. And you don't think about them having that great sort of conifer fragrance, but they do. So that's kind of nice as well. We've got, uh, Tracy and I both have uh, an Easter lily. She was a little bit concerned because we've gotten lilies in the past. They weren't necessarily Easter lilies, but cut flower lilies. And the fragrance has driven her nuts. So she was a little bit apprehensive about getting the Easter lily. And I said, I don't think the Easter lilies generally have much of a fragrance. So we got one, and now it's just about, uh, there's probably like six buds on it. Two of the buds are fully open, so that's kind of nice to see. So we're getting ready for Easter. That's tomorrow, by the way. So once it finishes flowering, then it's going to go outside and get planted in the outdoors. So that's kind of the nice thing about the Easter lilies. If you do have Easter lilies, you want to plant them outside, guess what? You want to plant them a little bit deeper than they are in those pots. So, you know, three or four inches deeper because uh, that's what they need to have as far as the hardiness goes. Uh, my yard, uh, pansies, spectacular. They really look good. I fertilized them with a bloom booster, so now they're really kicking off. Because when I got them, most of them didn't have any flowers on them at all, but they're really starting to look good. The bulbs, you know, I plant always daffodils and tulips both and grape hyacinths in my pots. And I don't have anything in flower yet. The only thing I have in flower in my yard is crocus. Now, I will tell you, the majority of my pots, except for three, are on the north side of my house. So that's going to be a little bit cooler. It doesn't get as much impact from the sun or anything else. So just you know, kind of realize that that's going to be the circumstance with that. So it depends upon where your pots are. Now, I still, you know, I don't know if you remember me talking about it. Historically, I've always planted my bulbs in bigger pots or bigger window baskets or window boxes and things like that. This past year, I decided to put some in some of the smaller pots that I have. And uh, with that cold weather, I'm still waiting to see because they're not even pushing any foliage up yet. So I'll wait for another month or so. Then I'm going to dump them and I'm going to feel the bulb to see they may have froze and then just turned mushy. So it may take a a, a pot, a container or whatever that's going to be a little bit larger than like these that are about uh, 12 inches. So they're 12 inches, you know, in diameter and probably 8 to 10 inches high. So they're not huge, but I still wanted to try it just, you know, to see what would happen. So I may be disappointed. 
Um, I'm going to be, you know, I don't know if I'm going to have a chance today, but I'd like to get out there and cut some of my grass. I do have the majority of zoysia, but I do have some, let's say, Scott's patch that I put in when we first moved in. And the zoysia hasn't choked it out yet. So it is, a, you know, it's a grass that's green during the cooler seasons. So consequently, you know, it grows and grows and grows and grows. The blades on it are probably starting to get about four inches or so. And that's where I have to be concerned with, as I spoke of earlier, once the grass blades get too long, if we have too much rain, which we did this past week, they get matted down. And then consequently, it sets up a, you know, a problem with the fungus scenario. So, And also, it doesn't hurt. I'm going to probably, a lot of leaves blow in from the park. I think most of them are finally over with. So consequently, when I do cut, I cut on areas that are a solid zoysia, but I'm doing it to chop the leaves. Tom, my neighbor, who is a fireman that lives across the street and across the alley, the other day he was sort of like stabbing me saying, what's wrong? You're trying to practice. You forgot how to mow, so you're cutting your grass, even though it's my zoysia wasn't even growing. I said, no, I'm chopping leaves. So that's kind of what uh, I told him. So, Oh. And Ed in St. Louis, how are you? Are you calling again, huh? Well, you know, hey, um, you mentioned something, Mike, that uh, I ran into with uh, putting the bulbs in the pots. You know, I heard on your show last fall you talked about doing it, so right. I tried it. I got impatient yesterday waiting for them to come up. I started digging in some of the pots, and all the bulbs were mush. Ooh. So I guess, you know, the, the frigid winter was just too much for them. Right. You know, so, hey, I'm just telling you from what happened to me, Mike. I, I don't know if you're going to run into the same problem or not. Yeah, and, you know, I leave mine just sit out. I don't pull them close to the house or anything else because, you know, that's just the way I, you know, I want to do it. So uh, I'm sorry that happened to you. So Well, well it, it, it was a good gamble. <laughs> right. So, that's, all right, Mike. Well, thanks, Ed. Okay, have a good day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you just don't know. You know, I'm always you know constantly playing around with different things, and uh, like I said, I always put them in bigger pots. I have these huge pots that I plant, you know, and they are they're fine. The foliage is coming up, and I have big window boxes too. They look fine, but the smaller pots, uh, I dumped one the other day, and I felt you know the the tulips were planted, and I forgotten what was in there, and I just did it out of curiosity. The bulb still feels firm. But I look at it, and it is not starting to do any kind of growth whatsoever. So I'm going to be interested to see. I decided, well, let's see what they do in the ground next to my driveway because the driveway is going to heat up. It's going to warm the soil up sooner, and that may trigger some root growth quicker and to see if they're going to flower. So it was a pot that only had, I think it had six tulips in it. So they're out of the pot, they're in the ground, and they're growing next to some daffodils that are not you know, budding yet, but they have nice foliage on the, on the actual daffodils. So other things that you need to be thinking about, if you do have ground covers, set your mower high and just kind of, if you want to keep, you know, keep them a little bit more uniform, then just you know, mow over the top of them. That's a good way to get rid of all the debris. One of the ground covers that I've noticed that's in flower just down the street for me uh, on Rosa is basically, this is periwinkle, vinca minor, which is the broadleaf evergreen ground cover that stays really low. You don't have to worry too much about it, but it was in flower. So that was really kind of nice to see. Other things that I've seen, you know, in the past couple of days, Clatonia, which is called spring beauty. It was a wildflower. It's really a bulb, basically, uh, that 
growing up in Ellisville, our yard was filled with this. And since my father never did any weed control whatsoever, our yard this time of year really was spectacular with the spring beauty. So that was kind of nice to see. Let's see, what else have I seen that has been in flower? Um, the magnolias are really pushing out. I just hope that it doesn't get too cold because that can happen with these early flowering magnolias. You know, some of the saucer magnolias, they're usually a little bit later, and usually it's the star magnolias that come out earlier, which are the white ones as opposed to the purple, which are saucers. If, you know, this cold snap gets too bad, then we're never really going to see the magnolias this year in full flower. That's, you know, kind of the tragedy of the colder weather besides just not liking the cold. And today, I mean, they say the temperature's warm and everything else, but with that breeze today, when I was out, you know, doing my good gardening stroll down by Bush Stadium, <laughs> I thought it felt pretty darn cool. And yet there was a guy down there taking pictures of Bush Stadium. He had a, just a T-shirt on. Now, I don't know how long he'd been out there or anything else, but I thought, man, this guy is really, really tough. One thing you need to be watching out for as well is just if you have some of the native junipers, which are this, you know, we call cedars and everything else, if you start seeing, if they have brown balls on them, and those brown, round balls, if they start expanding and turning orange, well, then this particular juniper has cedar apple rust. That will send spores out, you know, from this gall, this brown, round, which turns orange thing. And it can really impact anything in the apple family, whether it's hawthorns, crab apples, or apple trees. It can cause spotting. It can cause bloating of the stems or branches or things along that line. So if you're boxwood, if you've got some winter damage on them, I would not prune today. I would go ahead and just wait because of the, you know, not knowing what the weather is going to be like. Watch out also as the maple trees have finished flowering now. The maple squirts haven't formed yet, but they're dropping the flowers on the ground. This is a time when uh, the eastern tent caterpillars are starting to get out there. So the eastern tent caterpillars do those big webs on in between branches on trees, and they come out and they chew on leaves and things like that, and then they go back in the webbing, and this whole webbing net, you know, or tenting circumstance is just to keep the birds away from them. So you can just go out there and stir them up, stir up the webbing if you want to, and consequently then the caterpillars are just going to either drop or the birds are going to actually have a nice feast with those. Um, other things that you need to be thinking about, um, let's see. Oh, don't get into a big rush about the you know getting your house plants outside because it's going to be too cold for them. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will be back after the news. The voice of St. Louis News Radio 1120 KMOX KMOX HD St. Louis 102.5 KEZK HD3 St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.